Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where we get into people's heads and find out how their choices in life has affected them. My name is Leslie Fear. I'm your host. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined with Annie Weibel. She's with Serial Spirits Podcast, and she's also been a paranormal investigator for more than 10 years. She's been podcasting for at least two or more, and they cover like cryptids, true crime, paranormal, anything kind of spooky dooky or a little bit strange. So welcome to the show, Annie. Spooky dooky and a little bit strange should be like the motto of my life. I should put that on a t-shirt somewhere. So thank I kind of like it. It kind of <laughs> you're welcome. Spooky dookie and a little bit of paranormal, a little bit of true crime, and a little all, bit baby. strange. You just hit like every <laughs> keyword on the way down. That's perfect. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to have you because uh, this is going to be my official Halloween episode. So. Oh boy, strap it an, on, baby. That is an honor right there to be someone's official <laughs> Halloween episode in this world that we live in. I am honored. So thank you so much. I'm very honored to have you. And I can't think of anything more spooky than serial killers. And I don't even know how to put my thought into how bad the people that we're going to talk about are. Ghosts are scary and hauntings are scary. And everybody talks about that. But you know what? We're going to dive in and get some scary, spooky-dooky stuff going on here. You know, the real monsters live among us and walk amongst us every day. And all of the haunted buildings that I've been in and all the times that we've been out there looking for Bigfoot and Mothman and all this other spooky-dooky stuff, the real-life people and the stories like we're going to talk about today are the things that scare me the most because this really happened. And it's absolutely mm. terrifying what the human mind is capable of. Yes, and we talked about this before we started recording how psychologically it's, to us, it's fascinating. Not because it's it's good, it's just how to wrap your brain around how someone can function and half the time get away with what they're doing and still think it's okay. Uh, let's get into it. Andre Chikatilo. The yeah. Rostov Ripper was his nickname. Mm, okay, yeah. And he was born October 16th, 1936 in the Ukraine. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the city. No, don't. Uh, that would it, be, yeah. <laughs> Ukrainian words are the worst. Have you ever watched gymnastics? The Ukrainians were always... Yeah. They were the best, but they had the worst names, and, and all the announcers tried to pronounce their names. It, the, and then they just kind of gave up. Yeah, he was born in one of those towns. Yes. From what I understand, you know more details, because um, I like to listen to true crime podcasts. I mean, that's a given, because I'm that kind of person. You know more details, but I will get you started. I know that his mother told him repeatedly, although it is not confirmed, that his brother was killed so that his neighbors could eat him yes. because they were out of food and it was the Russian famine of the 1930s. Yes. Yeah. And well, and also it's just one of those things where to me, that's what started that psyche of, hmm, all right, well, I guess it's okay to eat people if, uh, you know, if you need to eat. I'm kind of sick of eating leaves and grass. <laughs> There's this thing that we have on cereal spirits, and we call it the mommy issue alert. And mm, it's kind of mm-hmm. like this newsflash, do, 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 do. It's a mommy issue alert day. <laughs> 
on your podcast because the two that we're going to talk about really have some deep-seated, we go back to the psychological factor in this, nature versus nurture. These two, in my opinion, are totally a product of their environment. Not that they didn't do some really messed up things, but when you look at what they had to endure as children and young adults, even into adulthood, you understand maybe why their psyche, why their mind worked the way that it did. Right, because I know that his mom pretty much ignored him. Yes, Andre Chicatello, his family was absolutely poverty stricken. In the 1930s, he was born into this room, this house. It was a one room hut. Their family survived solely just by cultivating their own food. And in fact, his mother did tell him that he had an older brother who was taken away by the neighbors and cannibalized Mm. because Mm. these people were so hungry and so desperate. And that's what his childhood consisted of just being absolutely desperate all the time. Once he went into school, once he was school aged, he was so malnourished that he was so much smaller than the rest of the children that he was bullied for his stature. He was a little behind the learning curve as well and suffered from other physical maladies that were a product of his malnourishment it was really it's absolutely Mm. just so sad right no it was and I do know that there was a time when he got older and he was trying to get attention or whatever he would do good things he would do bad things he would do everything he could to get attention if nothing else because he literally was ignored and his father was already in a communist camp Yes, he was. And so he really, he did. He tried to do things to get attention, but in a lot of ways, it really gained him more bad attention than it did anything else. And so as a young adult, he dropped out of school because of the bullying and was drafted into the Soviet army where his problems really just went from bad to worse, Mm. honestly. Mm -hmm. Now, I do know this. He got his first taste of how much blood aroused him, correct? He did. So he realized that he, at a young age, that he was impotent, which was one of the problems that carried on throughout adulthood. But he realized that through some of these kind of violent acts that he was uh, no longer impotent. And I believe he was a teenager when he attacked the 11-year-old sister of one of his friends, and he realized that that was something that made him excited, for lack of a better Mm -hmm. term. Yeah, I think he said it it, it set him free, and he realized, yes, what could be once that started kind of getting in his head. I think he was uh, diagnosed with borderline personality disorder with like a sadistic feature add-on to it or whatever they say. So he was able to compartmentalize this in a whole different way than than you or I or any normal person would. Wasn't he born like two months early as well and had like water on the brain? I think he was. And and again, that was probably just because of their situation at the time, that poverty Mm -hmm. level. You Mm -hmm. can't imagine that they had any type of medical attention at any right, point. Right. So all of those factors kind of led up to him being this person that he was both mentally and physically, but he did. He learned almost like an, in an animalistic way that attacking this person, this young girl, 
led to this arousal and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. he was able to achieve something that he could not achieve before that had gained him this other notoriety in a very bad way. Very, yes, yes. Oh, wow. So tell me what happened with him once he went into the military. Because I don't think he went to combat. I think he like gave out like uniforms or something. He did. No, I I I don't believe he was in combat either. Um, But what he did when he was in the military, he was also married. Mm -hmm. His sister kind of arranged this marriage to another woman, which became another problem in his life because, again, he claims that they were not able to have any type of a an intimacy, but his wife was pregnant twice. And so right. he had two children from this marriage, even though he said later he really didn't even know how that happened. Well, because they were in communism Russia, and it was a cover-up to keep whatever sick thing he had in his head going because at a certain age, you needed to be married. You needed to have right. kids. You They expected all that. So he did it. And his sister helped him and arranged it. And I think later on, his wife still had no clue what he was up to. Because no. he'd be gone for like a long time, like for nights at a time. Right. He would just disappear. And nobody even knew at the time what was going on with him. But he had already kind of started these, I don't want to say plans in his head. But mm-hmm. these crimes were already started coming in into existence and so if you fast forward into the 1970s he actually finished school and got a teaching degree so he began teaching russian literature in a local school (laughs) but he was very smart he He was was actually pretty smart he was and it was really his going back to not being able to perform well in school earlier was probably more because of his malnourishment and And bullying. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. the bullying Mm -hmm. that he Mm -hmm. suffered Mm -hmm. both in school and at home that were just too much for him to bear at that point, really. So he goes back to school. He gets this degree. He becomes a teacher of Russian literature in this, um, well, they were young people in school. And that's where he committed some of his first crimes were actually against his students in this school Mm, two mm -hmm. young Mm -hmm. females that he attempted to abduct and when he did he realized that his impotence went away and again this violent struggle was what caused Mm -hmm. that so again those bells are going off there oh okay well when this happens this is what happens to me and this has never happened to me in my life before yeah. And in his mind, oh my gosh, I'm free. I can do what I want and get away with it. Because he actually did get away with a lot because he was a strict communist. And when he had those communist ties, he was able to do things that other people in his position or in his same rank or whatever you want to call it at the school couldn't get away with. Right. There was just something about his demeanor. or I don't know what it was, but he just, I guess when you have the communist on your side, right. he didn't have any prior records. And I think that had a lot to do with just the fact that he just happened to get away with all this stuff. And it's just, it's mind boggling because it went on for a long time. He flew under the radar with a lot of this and nobody Mm. even had any inkling that anything was happening until the very late 1970s and early 80s because a couple of students complained that he had attacked them. And so they started listening to these complaints in 1981 Mm he was fired from that teaching position and 
that was kind of something I think that set off uh, an even deeper rage in him than what he had before. Yeah. And because he was a communist and because he had the ties, they would just scoot him on to another school. They wouldn't convict him. They would just say, sorry, you can't do that here, but we'll send you somewhere else. Right. They were almost just, um, I don't want to say hiding him in some of these other schools, but if complaints were filed at one, then you could go to another and start fresh there. You bring up a good point, Annie, because I do think they were kind of hiding it because uh, in communism or the way they, I understand how they explained it, if one did something bad, the entire school would be punished. Right, correct. It's, yes, so they would just be like, okay, nope, mm-mm. okay, we got to get you out of here and we can't be found and you got to go. Right. Mm-hmm. It was easier to hide it than it was to, you mm-hmm. know, let this come to the surface and deal with the consequences right. of what happened there. And so from early 1970s to very early 1980, he's teaching at these schools, but he claims that his murders actually began in the early 1970s when he was Mm. teaching. So even as he was teaching these children in the school and attacking them, he says he was going elsewhere and committing these absolutely horrendous crimes Mm. that brought him this satisfaction. Right, and we probably should talk about these crimes even though um, they're not going to be fun. But guys, this is a Halloween episode and we're going to go there. We're going to go there. And so this this is that disclaimer because these do uh, involve, you know, some child murders. Um, yes. But yeah, so Chikatilo, again, he found it easiest to prey upon these children and young adults who came from kind of a similar background that he did. And so he would, in his own words, kind of troll these bus stations and train stations Um, These Mm -hmm. schools where, you know, these kids were kind of set apart. The first he Mm -hmm. claimed was in 1973, a nine-year-old girl named Yelena that he took into an abandoned house. He attempted Mm. to rape her, but when he wasn't able, then he just, he stabbed her to death and dumped her body in the river. He said that's when Mm -hmm. he really got his start. He claims that he didn't murder again until 1981 after he was fired from his job at the school. So you kind of look at that as, again, the instigator of what really set him off in the worst of his crimes, I guess. Right. And there was a big cooling off period for him, like a Dahmer thing, where there would be years between murders. Yes, there was. And I'm not sure why. Yeah, I'm not sure why. It was just one of those things where that's just how his his M.O. was. But You think maybe, okay, was it a cooling off period was he just attempting to to get enough nerve to carry it out again? Mm. Was mm-hmm. he not confessing to all of the crimes that he really committed? It's so hard to tell because, you know, before DNA was a factor in a lot of these mm-hmm. cases, you're just going off the word of what these guys are saying in court, right? So Right. And he does start to compartmentalize, too. If you fast forward and he gets to the point where he's at the train station, like you said, or he's at these places where there might be some prostitutes and he takes a prostitute in the woods or wherever he takes them and he murders them. He feels like he's some kind of vigilante taking out the bad 
seeds and he's compartmentalizing it and making it okay right for and himself to do this yes he he took away people that he thought nobody would miss at that point so like you right. said young prostitutes uh runaways who would frequent these train and bus stations who were just kind of passing through and he thought i could take this one somewhere and Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever going to know it. Them. Nobody's going to pay attention. Mm-mm. Or by the time they do, it's going to be too late to do anything about it, right? It was just uh, right. it, it was just chance that they ended up there. And for some of them, um, it, it led to their death. And it's very sad. It, it's very sad. Now, what I thought was extremely interesting, if we fast forward to the finally the time when people are starting to talk and it's starting to get around to where they're figuring out that it is actually him doing these things, they do a test on his semen. Right. And he tests for AB blood. Yes. But he does not have AB blood. He actually has A blood type. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't remember what it was called, but there was some type. uh, He had the ability to test positive with these different blood samples. He tested when they ran his DNA sample later. We're talking, you know, late 80s, early 90s when they kind of start putting these together. They could run a blood typing against each other and that was about it. And so they had semen samples from these earlier cases. They ran it against his and it wasn't the same because his type was different than he was automatically ruled out. But this was some type of a biological anomaly that caused him to get away with this and commit several more crimes. I mean, Annie, that is so scary. That's scarier than the scariest movie you could ever make for me to watch. It's terrifying. That is absolutely terrifying. I've got chills. I literally have chills for this because who would have thought with all the DNA in the 90s when was he apprehended in the 80s, correct? He was apprehended in 1990. So you're talking about almost two decades where he was able to get away with a lot of these crimes that, again, he was kind of ruled out because of this bizarre blood typing anomaly. It, It blows my mind. But he ended up being convicted finally. I'm not sure how they figured it out. I'm not even sure. I don't know that part. You might know better than me. So 1990, he was discovered at a train station. He was filthy dirty. He had blood smeared all over his face. And he Mm. had uh, bite marks on him. Now, even the police had kind of ruled him out because of this blood typing that didn't match. They were still kind of watching him. He was still on a suspect list. And so Mm -hmm, they placed him mm -hmm. on surveillance. They found him days later patrolling an area, drinking beer, and trying to talk to several different children. And so the police Mm. took him in. He was interrogated. He said he did nothing wrong. But there was a psychiatrist named Alexander Bukhanovsky who asked to come in and question him. Bukhanovsky was a a psychological profiler. And so he comes Mm -hmm. in, he talks to Chikatilo and basically compiles this 65-page profile, like uh, a psychological profile. And Mm -hmm. finally, after all of this questioning, Chikatilo breaks down. He confesses to 34 different murders, and he goes Mm -hmm. into detail describing the murders and the mutilations of these bodies, 
what they were able to connect a lot of these bodies by later was one specific detail that had become Chikatilo's calling card. He began Mm, gouging mm -hmm. out the victim's eyes. And what he told them was that it was based on a Russian superstition that the image of a murderer Mm -hmm. would remain in the eye of the victim. So he said he had to destroy their eyes to keep his identity a secret. Yes, I remember reading that. I totally forgot about that. That's crazy. So bizarre. Yes. So scary that to me that gouging and and I think it took some noses too, right? Wouldn't he take their nose or I don't even know why. He mutilated their bodies in different ways. But the one that he really became known for was gouging out their eyes. And it was that old Russian superstition that if anybody found their body, that his vision of him would still Mm. remain in their eyes freaky it's just he was convicted and as far as i know when you are convicted in russia they don't waste any time they're not playing around in russia for starters they take him to trial and they portray him like as this maniac they wheel him into the courtroom in a cage i mean we're talking good silence of the lambs Hannibal Lecter type cage. All of these scary movies do have some kind of connection. Yes, yes. yes. And the Mm -hmm, police said mm -hmm. it was, oh, we want to protect him from the mobs of these distraught family members. But it just made him appear even crazier to Mm, the media and to, you know, the jurors. And so uh, basically they put him on the stand in his own defense and he refused to answer any questions. They find him guilty of 52 separate murders. He's sentenced to (sighs) death plus 86 years. January of 1994, Boris Yeltsin is the president still. He rejects Chikatilo's final appeal. He's executed (laughs) that year with a single gunshot behind his right ear. Russia's not playing. They are not playing. And it was fast. Like, they waited... Only, I think only days. Right. They did. Yeah. There was no, by the time that There's final, no death row. <laughs> there was nothing. Boris Yeltsin said, yeah. you know, guys, give him the gun. That's That was it. One bullet behind the that ear and he was gone. And I don't know if you can rehab anyone like that. So. <laughs> but, but it's so, and okay, I'm not at all feeling sorry for a serial killer. But right. When right. You no, I, I get it. at the psychology behind it again. Yes. It's just so sad. You look at this kid who was probably mentally unstable because of the lack of medical care, both while in Mm -hmm. utero and as a child, Mm -hmm. his Mm -hmm. malnourishment, um, you know, the lack of care by anybody in his family. And they, he was kind of cold. It was a perfect recipe. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. And I totally understand what you're saying. And unfortunately... He became a product of his environment, just like you said. But you know what? I want to talk about Ed Gein now. Oh, gosh. Old Ed. I know. Well, this one's very scary to me, too, in a whole different way. Yes. And all I know about Ed Gein is... Well, he had some mommy issues, just like you said. Do, 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 like, do, do. This really? is another <laughs> mommy issue alert. I hope that this is a first for your podcast because this is something that yeah, we like is. to do frequently. Ed Gein, Ed Kemper, um, Andrea Chick- Chickatello. Yes. 
we talk about mm-hmm. a lot of mommy mm-hmm. issues and Ed Gein is probably one of the top three of our mommy issues on Serial Spirits for oh, sure. My goodness. Well, she was so dang religious to, to a point where she wouldn't let him have friends. She said women are nasty and horrible and you should stay away from them and be afraid of them and you should only talk to me. And she, it was like she he was her possession. Augusta Gein saw a lot of abuse uh, in her marriage. Augusta was Ed's mother, and his Mm -hmm. father, George, was a raging alcoholic who couldn't hold down Mm. a job, who was Mm. mean as sin to all of them. And so Augusta had her two sons, uh, Henry and Ed, and she kind of segregated them from the world. She was a very devout Lutheran, and she said... Everybody else is vile and evil, especially other women. And if you ever Mm. have a relationship with another woman, you will 100% absolutely, beyond a doubt, catch a venereal disease and die. Wow. Yes. That was Augusta Gaines. Yes. (laughs) And I don't know if she had daddy issues, and I didn't do any research on her, but... Holy crap. That, she had some kind of Wow. Yeah, she had some kind of issues and I think the um you know the abusive marriage and and their segregation from society uh really kind of amplified that too. And so that's what Ed was brought up in. He was brought up to believe that all these other women besides his mother were terrible and vile and carried all these sexual transmitted diseases and that he would just die if he ever even looked at one the wrong way. And the psychology of that, Annie, I cannot imagine what one kid could have felt uh, younger, older, whatever it is, when your mother is the center of your world and everyone else in your brother and everyone else is absolute evil and stay away and they're nasty and they're dirty and they're, you're going to get venereal disease or whatever it is. That had to have had some kind of effect. Well, I'll let you keep going because it's it's craziness what he did. It absolutely played a huge part, became the center of Ed Gein's life. So she had segregated her family from society. She thought that the outside world, you know, created a lot of their problems. And so when George, when Ed's father died in 1940, he left all of the property behind to Augusta and Ed and his brother Henry. Henry also died in a very bizarre manner that nobody Mm -hmm. even kind of put together until everything with Ed kind of came out of the woodwork. So they inherit the family farm after their father dies in 1940. 1944, Ed and Henry were burning this vegetation on the property Mm -hmm. And Ed calls the fire department saying that this fire is out of control and he can't find his brother. So the fire department shows up and they extinguish this fire and Henry is still nowhere to be found. When they find him, he's dead. His body is not burned. Um, No immediate cause of death was kind of placed. And so the coroner says that he died of heart failure. Later, they did, Hmm. I guess, a deeper examination and said he did not die from heart failure. He died from asphyxiation. Mm -hmm. And they also Hmm. said there were rumors that he had 
bruises and marks on his head. And so later on, you know, you've got alarm bells going off saying, okay, Ed was the only person out there with his brother. Did something fishy happen to Henry as well? And it makes you wonder, okay, what made him feel like he needed to get his brother out of the picture? I don't know if his brother was a little more normal and saw that Ed was becoming more unstable or whatever, because he was older. Was he so desperate to have his mother all to himself? Well, that's that's a great point, and even more screwed up. So. Right? Again, <laughs> and, the mommy yeah, issue and, bells go off. Like you said, now his father died of a heart attack in what, 1940? 1940, right? yes. Okay, okay, so his mother was still around, correct? Mother's still around, and so now Ed and Augusta are living on this remote farm alone. It's just the two of them. They're totally separated mm-hmm. from society, and Augusta falls into poor health. She suffers from a series of strokes that leave her bedridden and who else is there to care for her except Ed. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so Ed is there alone with Augusta and she continues to preach to him about how vile the outside world is and Ed it's just you and me and we need to be together in this until 1945 and she dies. Okay, so yeah, he's, uh, and this is after his dad's gone, after his brother's gone, so there's no one stopping you from obsessing about your mother. There's no one stopping you from eventually making a shrine to her. Basically, uh, yes. And we'll talk about that. So he's obsessed, and why not? He's been obsessed since he was born. Right. I mean, that's all he's known. He doesn't have friends. He doesn't have any outside people helping him. He has... It's just her. Right. He has nobody. And he worked kind of as um, a handyman throughout the town. There were a couple of families that kind of took him in, in a way, and gave him side work, felt sorry for him, felt like maybe he was a little mentally unstable or underdeveloped. They kind of uh, gave him work to do. But one Mm -hmm. of Ed's things to do after his mother died was that he began searching through the local newspapers for the obituaries of women who had died. And so late at night, he would go Mm. to the cemetery where his mother was buried and where some of these other women were buried. And he said that he would sit with the graves all night because he missed his mother so desperately. And that's not creepy at all. Not in the least. I No, not at all. <laughs> it is Halloween. You know, we may as well sit in the graves. We might as well. Uh, yeah. Fresh graves. Yeah. 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 Sit in the cemeteries next to your mother's grave and you know, talk weird. to her and maybe. That's not it's, weird. It's not at, at all. all. It was totally normal. No, no normal. flashlights are needed. We're good. Family. Yeah, we're fine. And so Ed yeah, says that. I don't know what your problem is. Yeah. He would go <laughs> there late at night and he described it later as that he would go in almost in this like um, dazed like state, almost a, a comatose. Yeah. And he would go in and not really remember what happened. And then all of a sudden he's been there for hours and he would just kind of turn around and go home and, and live through his miserable day again. Because once she was gone, his life was pretty much over too. Just like Chikatilo, if you think about it. I mean, that's really how it was, you know? I mean, that's his life was over. Absolutely. He had nobody else to turn to. Everybody in his family is gone. So he continues to do this for a while. But after a while, that didn't really satisfy what Ed needed. 
And so oh, yeah, it was not satisfying that appetite at all, was it? It was not in the least. And so what he thought would satisfy that need, that urge, was to dig up the graves and remove the bodies. <sighs> and he did that beginning with his mother and then multiple other women. <sighs> now, that is the scariest thing. Terrifying. I've heard it's that is so I mean, first of all, it's at night, I'm sure, because he doesn't need anyone seeing him. Second of all, you're digging up dead bodies and people that shouldn't be at all desecrating a grave, which is horrific already. But to get satisfaction out of it. <laughs> Can you imagine somebody who worked in this cemetery, whether you were a grave digger or a groundskeeper or no. whatever, to these cemeteries and these graves are dug up and disturbed? Like, I don't how even. How do you I, even I, begin I, to talk about that? You, well, yeah, uh, you know, uh, manager, there's something going on here. You, you need to c- come on down here and see what we have. Old Mrs. And, Smith and, uh, is don't missing tell the family, out here. You know, She's gone. Yeah, and, you know, not to make light of a, no, of a horrible situation, but you know, it's it's one of those things where to me, this is way scarier. It's terrifying. This actually happened. This happened. Then, this is a 100 percent true. Uh, story yeah and it just boggles me so he's out there and he's and he and he needs to fulfill it's almost like you do something it it carries you for a while but then it it takes you to another you need more it's almost like a drug addict or anything else or an alcoholic you need more you need more you need more and that's exactly what happened with him with these bodies it satiated that need in that moment because you know what he took that first body home and he wasn't alone anymore oh my gosh there's somebody in the house with me my mom's back again so how gross oh my god so he literally takes his mother's corpse home and skins Mm. her and creates this what he called a woman suit out of it he said he would did y'all hear that did y'all hear that a A woman a woman suit suit. and he (laughs) so that he could literally get into her skin that's what he did with his mother and he did this with multiple other women over the course of something like 10 years he continued he's just thumbing through the obituaries on a daily basis finding the corpses of these women going out digging somebody up and bringing some parts home and it was women because didn't he start kind of wanting to identify as a woman am i right he did so there it was said later and he actually said this that there was, um, he had a, a torso that he had skinned from another woman that still had the breast on it, and he would wear it. And at night, he would go out in his front yard wearing this, uh, this suit mm. that had these breasts on it. He began to think almost like that he was his mother. He almost became like her her being like he was living through her again wow so weird and the psyche there again fascinating to me also scary as crap and what the heck dude i i don't even it's a, that norman bates thing but on a whole different level yes completely and it's 100%. just it's, it's just so scary and if this doesn't scare my listeners then um you need to dig deeper i guess and find another podcast that's even scarier <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I've not done my job, obviously. 
but no. Oh, you, oh, you've done a great job, but golly, girl, this is just, well, anyway, so keep going because I want to know what happens to him. He, I don't know anything about the rest of what happened, like when he got convicted or when he got found out and all that. I don't know that part. So Ed Gein continues doing this for the better part of 10 years until he mm. trips up and he takes a live victim. 1957, a woman named Bernice Warden, who was working at a local hardware store, disappears. Her son calls the local Mm. police and said, she's gone, I can't find my mother. Witnesses who were in Mm. the hardware store that day say that they saw Ed in there. They saw a pickup truck that looked like Ed's leaving the store earlier that day. And there was a sales receipt on file for a single gallon of antifreeze, which is what Ed told some of these police officers that he had been in the store to purchase when he was questioned about this. Okay. The police Mm -hmm. start to catch on. They know that something is up, that Ed's kind of this bizarro, reclusive type person. They go to Ed's house and what they find is literally a little shop of horrors that none of them could have ever imagined. I think one of the cops, didn't one of the cops leave? They couldn't even be in the force anymore? Oh yeah, absolutely. There, There were people on there who said this changed their lives forever. None of these people ever looked at anything the same again. He had turned his house into a shrine for the dead, literally with their body parts. They compiled a list of the things found in Ed Gein's home. They found a lampshade, chair covers, and a wastebasket made from human skin. No way. He had severed skulls (sighs) hanging on his bedposts. There was a corset made from a female uh, torso. Oh my God. Masks and leggings made from human bodies. He found, they found I, I, a I, box uh, of female severed genitalia. My goodness. They my. found a belt made from human nipples. First of all, I don't even know walking into that and or the smell. Because I don't even know if they knew what it was at first. And then they realized what they were looking at. Probably not. I can imagine that walking in there and you look at it and you think, what is this? This is bizarre. And then you realize what it is. Maybe not even thinking at first, like, oh, this This is not real. This is something. And then I, you realize that it's well, real. Well, no wonder they didn't go back. I don't think I could ever recover from that. I would have PTSD no. from that for years. There's just no way. It's unimaginable. That's what I'm talking about. This is the... It's just the scariest thing to me. And everybody knows that it listens to my podcast. The Exorcist is probably the scariest movie I've ever seen. And I still have a hard time watching it. Agreed. This is 10 times worse than that. This is, this is bad. This is, this is beyond the Exorcist. And so they continue (sighs) to find other body parts kind of strewn about Ed's house. Something that they were not expecting though was the body of another local missing woman named Mary Hogan. Mm. Mary had been reported missing before, and her body was in Ed Gein's house. When they went into a shed on Ed Gein's property, then that's where they found Bernice Warden, the woman who worked at the hardware store. Her body was, in their own words, decapitated and Mm. hung upside down dressed out like a deer my god yeah 
well, his mother said, they're horrible. You got to stay away from women. You can't right. trust them. They will give you venereal disease. So he thinks of all these horrific things he can do to these people to however he needs to satiate his desire to do these things and save them himself in his sick, weird way. It's, it's unimaginable. And when we talked about this and I said, hey, let's do a Halloween episode, never thought I'd continually get chills when you were talking. Bizarre, I, right? Literally still getting chills while we're talking. Yes. And, and all of this is true. Happened in Wisconsin. You guys fact check it if you if you need to because this is this is real. Oh. This is this really happened. And so Ed was arrested and he sang like a bird when they asked him about all of these, you know, the bodies mm. that were in his house, the parts. He told them exactly what he had been doing for the past ten years. It was so disturbing to the police officer who was questioning him that Ed was actually beaten during his uh, interrogation. He was beaten and injured so badly that his confessions were later ruled inadmissible in court because of the assault that he had sustained from the police officers during his interrogation. What? Yeah. I didn't even know about this, so what happened? Yeah. So, uh, 1957... He's arraigned on one count of murder, and he pleads, obviously, not guilty by reason of of insanity. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia. He's found mentally Mm -hmm. incompetent. They can't complete the trial. And so he's sent to a home for the criminally insane, basically, to live out the rest of his days. But in 1968, (sighs) the facility where Ed is now says the doctors there say... We feel like he's fit to stand trial for this because he told us details about Bernice Gordon's death. And he says now Bernice's death was an accidental shooting. And so Ed goes back Mm. to trial again, not by a jury, but just one lone judge who is basically there to say, yes, he can stand trial or no, he is still unfit. And that second judge Mm -hmm. says... He's unfit. He goes back to the psychiatric hospital where he lives out the rest of his days. He died at Mendota State Hospital from lung cancer in 1984 at the age of 77. I'm blown away. These people that get away with this kind of horrific crime, don't get me wrong, could he have been rehabilitated? I don't think he could have. No. And maybe it's good that he was at a psychiatric ward. I don't know if he did any good there. I don't know how he could have. I don't think so. When you're, when you're, he didn't have a foundation with his mother or his father. There was nothing there but just pure disregard for women and pure hate for anyone because he really didn't have any friends. So I can understand why he probably hated everyone. His mother taught him well. Right. Wow. To my listeners, Serial Spirits Podcast, that's what you guys specialize in. You spe- that's why I had you on. You specialize in serial killers. And to have you on my show for, for Halloween, if nothing else, just to just to tell people, listen, you think uh, Freddy's scary. You think Michael Myers is scary. You think anyone that can think of in a horror movie is scary. All you got to do is listen to a couple serial killers. You uh, doesn't even compare. And we've done no. our fair share of research on serial killers. And yeah, the, the scariest monsters are the ones that lurk amongst us. Trust me. The scariest doors. monsters. Yes. They're the ones that are real. Annie, you have been amazing. And well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for joining me tonight because I am blown away at your research and what you brought to my show. Because I just think it's 
interesting. I think it was, you know, just if nothing else, insightful for people to understand what it what can be out there and probably still kind of happens. We just haven't found them yet. It's a little harder to be a serial killer in today's age with all of the internet and all that. But the things that they got away with back then, it blows me away. And they did. So yeah, if you guys like that story, uh, tune into Serial Spirits. If you have any stories, I always Absolutely. tell people, if you have anything that you want to cover, please reach out to us because we are always on the lookout for new stories like this. Absolutely. You need to tell everyone where they can find you on social media. We are Serial Spirits <laughs> Podcast. New episodes drop every Wednesday on all major platforms, iTunes, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, all of the above. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Serial Spirits. You can find me on Instagram at Weebs, W-E-E-B-S underscore Serial Spirits. You can also listen to our weekly shows on ParanormalWarehouse.com. That's kind of like our mothership. So if you don't listen to a lot of podcasts and you'd rather tune in online, you can find us there. And that's so nice to have so many options. Listen to you, girl. Well, thank you so Giving much. everybody what they need. We are. We're like the Walmart <laughs> of podcasts. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. No, you have been amazing. And I'm so happy you joined me tonight. And I'm telling you, if this doesn't scare people, I don't know what will. Hey, if that doesn't scare the skin suit off of you, then nothing will. Let me tell you, happy Halloween That's to right. everybody. <laughs> happy Halloween, everyone. And thank you again, Annie, for joining me. Absolutely. Anytime. If you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review. It'll help my podcast out and more people will be able to listen. Also, I am a novelist and write paranormal romance. All my books are available on Amazon.com, so check me out. And you can also reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you guys all for your support, and I'll talk to you next week.